Welcome to another episode of Hear and Obey. Uh, these are special episodes of Make and Multiply that we are doing where uh, we are sitting down and talking through passage of scripture, the one that was just preached the Sunday before. Uh, I'm Ryan Chase, one of the pastors at Emmaus Road Church, and I'm here with Matt Groon, who just preached this text yesterday. And we're going to be talking about Exodus chapter 1, verses 8 through 22. That was preached on Sunday, September 18. You can find that sermon on our website or uh, where you get your podcasts. So our aim in doing this is just to unpack that passage the way that our discipleship huddles do. We hope that this is a helpful guide and a model to members of our church who are also huddling um, and just a way that we can also draw out more of the passage of Scripture. We we don't want to just quickly move on. Now, we heard the sermon yesterday. We're not anxious to move on to new content, Mm -hmm. different content. We really want that word to dwell richly in us. So we're going to read that passage in just a minute and then talk about it. This is our second episode, but the first time we're talking about a passage that one of us preached. Yeah. Last week, we started this. This will be weird. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Matt preached this text, and so I I know from preaching and huddling... Mm -hmm. I myself am under the word and a disciple of Christ. So when I go to huddle um, after I've preached, oftentimes I see new things in the text. Mm. Somebody in my huddle will say something and I think, I can't believe I didn't see that. I can't (laughs) believe I didn't mention that, (laughs) which just speaks to really um, how glorious God's word is. Yes. The depth of meaning that there's way more there always than you can fit into a 30 or 40 minute sermon. Uh, before we get into this passage, I wanted to just say a couple things about how we read Scripture. Uh, we put out huddle questions every week. Those are meant to be a resource to people to help everybody uh, dig in and study Scripture. But really, as you grow and mature as a believer, it becomes more and more natural to be able to generate your own questions mm-hmm. with any text of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, three, four mature believers could sit down with any passage of Scripture with no pre-written study guide. Yes. And read it and, and come up with their own questions just by being inquisitive and learning how to be to interrogate the text, what kind of questions to ask. So that's how we read scripture. Um, we observe, we interpret, we apply. That's usually called the inductive method. When we're observing uh, that first step, we're just taking a look at what is there, what is said in the text. So make a lot of observations, which is why our huddle questions usually start with something like, what themes do you notice? What words are repeated? Uh, who is there? What's the setting? What's going on? So we're just observing what does the text say. Hmm. And then we go on to interpretation where we're asking, so what does it mean? Here's what it says is happening, but what does that mean? Because scripture is not just uh, literature. It's not just history. It's theological literature. Right. It's theological history. So it's it's meant to teach us something about God, is revealing God. Uh, it's a mirror that's showing us ourselves. Mm. So it, it means something. Um, and then that last part, application, we're, we're asking, so what difference does it make? Mm. It's one thing to know, oh, this reveals that God is holy. Okay, so... What difference does that make in my life? Lots of people may know truth about God and not respond rightly to it. So th- those are the broad kinds of questions that um, we think through. So we're going to jump into Exodus 1. Ryan, just a quick jump off that. One thing that is that you taught me that was helpful when thinking through the inductive method, um, that to think of it like an hourglass yeah. tipped on its side. So when we come to the uh, observe aspect, we want a big lens. We're trying to take in as much as we can. Yeah of what is happening in a text. But when we come to the interpret, we're, it's a narrow 
lens. We're trying to find what's the one thing, mm-hmm. what did Moses or the author mean? Because mm-hmm. it's, it's really only what we're after the in, author's intended meaning. Yeah. But then it opens back up in the application of, okay, how does this apply to my life? Because these same truths may apply to my life differently than yours and whoever else I'm that's with. Right. So that's always a helpful yeah. paradigm of why. Wide observation. That's right. Narrow meaning. That's right. Wide application. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and by narrow meaning, we mean a, a passage of scripture means one thing and not a hundred things. So, exactly. You know, the method of everybody read the Bible and just say, well, what does this mean to you? Exactly. If somebody says, well, to me, this means, you know, reincarnation. Right. We would say, well, no, that's not what it means. <laughs> yeah. you, you might have misinterpreted the passage. Right. That's not what it means. So what, what's the, what did the author mean? Yeah. Yep. That's helpful. All right. Excellent. Exodus 1. 8 through 22. Let me read this and we'll pray and talk about it. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. Mm. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Puah, When you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him, but if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, Mm -hmm. and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Mm -hmm. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are, by your very nature, a self-communicating, self revealing, self-expressing God. You speak to us and you speak clearly and authoritative in your word. This is your word and we pray that you would give us ears to hear Hmm. and hearts to believe and minds and hands to obey in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hmm. Observation. We're thinking through what what do you notice? What stands out to you? And you've spent a lot of time in this text. Yes. You preached it. so <laughs> Yeah. It, I mean, when you read it, as I did yesterday, when you read it with including one through seven, mm-hmm. chapter, so all of chapter one, you just can't help but feel this, this first seven verses as being this like up ramp into the glorious, oh good, how about that? And then this, now there arose a new kid. You just feel that if it's like a movie scene, you just feel the clouds roll in and you feel the, oh boy, this isn't, something's about to happen. And it really carries through. And there's just a lot of repeated language from, well, the first seven verses. And then, which is again, pointing all the way back to the garden, the 
the multiply language, yeah. the fruitfulness, the increasing, all that is taking Spreading place. Broad, yeah. But there's new modifiers put in, like mm-hmm. lest they multiply, mm-hmm. or uh, there's just now there's opposition. There's mm-hmm. a villain introduced, mm-hmm. um, and even as, every time you if you read it aloud, it really it has the effect, especially verse thirteen where uh, eleven through through fourteen of when describing their affliction with heavy burdens they were ruthlessly made the people of Israel you just all these all these words about you just seven times Moses uses seven different phrases mm. and just just punches you now an interesting note and I, I, I didn't I didn't mention this in my in my sermon this is one of those you know cutting room floor the seven negatives actually coincide with the seven positive statements made in the first seven verses. Mm-hmm. So all you look at the first seven verses, it's packed full of they were fruitful, increased greatly, multiplied, grew exceedingly strong, land was filled with yeah. them. All those there's seven of those phrases that you know just this mirror image of the two. To to Moses's point, the situation's changed. Yeah, what was has obviously taken a turn. Yeah, there's a direct counter. Uh, Antithesis. Yeah. Yeah. That that's the right word. Antithesis. Mm-hmm. There is a turn away, a mm. repulsion away from the 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 perceived situation of the Israelites in Exodus. And uh yeah, another another category of that stuck out to me that again that I didn't add in my sermon was uh in verse eleven, after Pharaoh had subjugated the Israelites set them to work. They built for Pharaoh store cities, mm. Pithom and Ramses. To the original audience, and again, if, if you take this whole thing as kind of a continuation, a sequel, if you will, of Genesis, the store cities, well, <laughs> what all their blessing in Egypt was because of this Joseph who saved them from famine by creating storehouses yeah. and inviting you know the seven years of good grain to mm. come loaded mm. up here and so it just feels like everywhere it all the all these little details are all heightening the main yeah. point which is Pharaoh is actively against mm. anything to do with God in the in the Hebrews yeah, that's an interesting point because when you think of store cities there you have excess and abundance right and blessing but here Israel is not on the receiving end of that they right. are enslaved so, so they're doing the work watching somebody else heap up the the abundance and the in Genesis the Egyptians were the recipients of the of Joseph right the, the they benefited from benefited from God's people organizing the the famine relief fund mm. and then now Pharaoh is forcing God's people to provide that very thing again mm. but by way of yeah. enslavement yeah yeah, the, I think verses 13 and 14, those are the kinds of verses that are easy to um, read quickly in mm-hmm. a couple sentences and, and not stop, kind of put yourself in the text, oh, yeah. try to imagine what does that feel like? What, what is life like for you if you are made to work by force? Mm. Uh, like you said, heaps up those phrases, in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work Yes, <laughs> as slaves. Yes, um, they it, were. It was a barbaric. Yeah, miserable. Yeah, it was. There was there was evidence I was reading of of just the cruelty that was involved. Um, there there's a story of. Well, let me see if I have it here. Um, 
well, I don't, I can't find it, but there, there, it just, there's ample, there's historical evidence that points to just the brutality that was involved mm. in the subjugation. It wasn't just work, right? It was brutal, yeah, just, yeah. De- just inhumane treatment. Mm. Mm. Yeah, as you were preaching yesterday, um, it's, it says that they were working in mortar and brick, and uh, it came to my mind. You know, I know that human trafficking, modern day slavery, the brick kilns are a mm. huge. Um, th- th- slavery is a big part of that in the brick industry today, mm. in parts of the world. Um, and and the stories that I've read of people enslaved in those conditions, the dust that they're breathing in, um, the heat, the labor. Uh, it, yeah, just trying to imagine yeah. what life was like for God's people. The, the other thing that stands out to me, um, Pharaoh's words in verse 10, come, let us deal shrewdly with them <laughs> lest they multiply. Right. And like you said, we already had this introduction. They are multiplying. Mm-hmm. They are growing exceedingly strong. Um, and and yet he, he sees there's a trajectory to that. There's kind of this exponential growth that's happening, and he's afraid of that. Yes. Um, and then later on, how verse 20, so God dealt well with the midwives. I think you made this comment yesterday, but looking for that you know, repetition of themes and, and words, how Pharaoh deals with people yes. versus how God is dealing with those who trust him and fear him. There, there's this direct contrast there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's, it just seems like, you know, you, you just get the sense that this guy is the, the, is the antithesis of God and his, direction. So when we, when we think through those categories, you know, who is the one primary enemy of God who is mm-hmm. seeking to the destruction mm-hmm. of the people of God? It's the safe, it's the serpent from that garden. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, you know, he pointed out the categories that he attacks are those very categories that verse one and seven mm. highlight. And what Greg highlighted of promise and of people yeah. and of uh, per- and purpose, I think it was. Yep. It's those things that, lest they multiply, right. he sees them as a threat. So he wants to sh- shut down their multiplication. And l- that, what is it, verse um, uh, verse 10. At the end of verse 10, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape right. from the yeah. land. Yep. That The whole... He wants to prevent them leaving. Which would fulfill the promise of God mm-hmm. and giving them a promised land elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So it just you just get this sense, just mm-hmm. the... The scene plays out. I thought it was so helpful how you pointed out, um, you know, why was he willing to let the baby girls live but kill the boys? So one of those reasons is, well, boys grew up to be men. Men are warriors. They could join against foreign, join with foreign armies and fight against Pharaoh. So he's clearly afraid of that. Um, But you, you made the point also, if he lets the girls live, then their only option is to marry Egyptian men. And then they're, mixed in. So any distinction between God's people and the yeah. Egyptian people is erased and they are Egyptianized. Yeah. That, um, which is also another goal. Of, you know, God has marked off for himself a people. Yeah. If, if those distinctions are erased, um, what, so he's opposing that as well. Setting aside just the theolo- like you described, the theological category of the mixing of the, the line of the serpent and the line of the woman. Mm-hmm. Just the I mean, it is an ancient form of right. genocide. Yeah. It's not just we want to just wipe these people out. Mm-hmm. We want to 
obliterate their culture mm-hmm. and not just in killing people, but in yeah. asserting, for, asserting their own of forcing ourselves on them, right. literally taking them for ourselves, yeah. having our way and producing Egyptian culture. Yeah. It is, it, it, you know, just the human nature of that is again, just part of these atrocities. But mm-hmm. of course what Moses is getting, what I believe Moses is getting to is these are all just pieces on the board mm-hmm. of a greater war that's taking place. Yeah that just helps that these aren't just mere human rights violations. Mm-hmm. Like we could look at this and say, man, look at the, <laughs> the atrocities that are being yeah. done. There's greater the injustices. Yeah. 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 I, I think that was one of the things that stood out to me. It, it, when you preach this text, that point that you made that, um, yeah, these are, you could look at it from that angle of human rights, mm-hmm. violations, justice, th- those things. Um, but there is a bigger, cosmic war going on yeah. between God's purpose and the serpent, the, the enemy of God and of God's people right. um, with, with cosmic implications, which just helps. I think I, I was, I was telling to you earlier, one of the, as a preacher, uh, one of the difficulties, one of the beautiful things about narrative is that it's so cinematic. It's so, yeah. you know, it's like reading a novel and then talking about it with mm-hmm. your friends. Like it's, it's action. Easy, and- yeah. It's easy to find nuance and especially with the beautiful, word that we have mm-hmm. what's difficult sometimes is okay how does this lay claim on yeah. me because our conviction is that all scripture is god breathed and useful to me mm-hmm. for my prophet and mm-hmm. lays claim on me even here in exodus one and so one of my challenges was and it, you know a challenge a happy challenge is to ask god how does this mm-hmm. apply to me and how can i communicate that and what's what's clear what's helpful about this is we might get bogged into, if you will, the the details of the enslavement and, like you said, the justice issues. Mm-hmm. But what this helps us do, and I think what Moses is after here, is to help us open our lenses beyond our circumstances to see the realities that are happening, mm-hmm. which is not that we take part in them and not that we necessarily can see the whole picture, mm-hmm. but just to know that what's taking place, what's happening to me right now, is not outside of the yeah. purview of God's control. Yeah. 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 There's, there's more than mere flesh and blood. That's right. More than just mere human actors. Mm-hmm. There are spiritual powers, yeah. cosmic powers as Paul speaks of in Ephesians rulers in the heavenly places. Um, and there's a, a battle going on there, mm-hmm. which helps, like you said, not that we know all the specific details all the time of what's going on in that realm, but just being aware that there is such a realm. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, we we sit here downstream of, you know, hundreds of years of enlightenment thinking that all that really exists yeah. is just this physical around us and what you can you know, touch and see. If stuff goes down, it's, I can, well, what that helps I think why it's enticing is because if there's a problem in this world, then I can take control and fix it. Yeah. I'm, I'm a fixer when I get anxious is when I'm mm. unable to fix mm. things. So, but if all that really is what's happening to me is just this visceral, well, I can, I can change the situation. Mm-hmm. I can affect my circumstances by just getting my arms around it. Mm. Um, but what this opens us up to is, man, there is, I can't control all that mm-hmm. and nor should I. And mm-hmm. that's the beauty. That's what's so good about having a God that is good. Yeah. Um, because if, if, if it was just some higher being, if you will, that was, you know, over all of this, it would, it wouldn't ease my fear. Mm. But the fact that he's a good God, that mm-hmm. he is trustworthy mm-hmm. uh, and he's proven himself over and over 
I I need not fear. Good purposes and yes. gracious promises, and, yes. and he's he is opposed by the evil one mm-hmm. and his minions, and yet he's stronger. Yeah, yeah. He laughs in derision. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You quoted Psalm two yesterday. Yeah. Well, you, you made that point that um, you know when it comes to narrative, the story is engrossing, can be engaging. There are plenty of non Christians who oh, yeah. love the Bible as literature. That's right. They don't believe the stories are true, or they don't see any theological purpose to it, or they right. they reject that. But but they can appreciate the literature of it, the narrative, the story, right. the drama, all of mm-hmm. that. But like you mentioned, we you know we get this. Right from Romans fifteen four, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, mm-hmm. so that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. That's right. So there, there is more for us here than just the story of it, which kind of brings us to that second part of studying the Bible, asking, so what does it mean? So we see what's going on. We can enter the text and try to imagine the affliction of it, which again, you know, just last comment on that. I think as many of us note the craziness of the times that we live in, to read something like this and just compare my circumstances, my daily routines mm. to those of people who are being made to ruthlessly work in all of their ruthless work. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's just, you know, it sets things in perspective a little yeah. bit. Like, okay, if, if this is who God is and what he's doing in times like that, That's right. then I, I can trust him in times like these. And you take that, what seems like far off distant perspective in informing situation. And then you, buttress it right up next to oh and then the king hauled these two women up and said all right start killing the babies yeah. like whoa yeah. <laughs> okay we're not we're not at the slavery point and i'm also haven't oh, been man. asked to murder children yet so you know yeah, i find myself somewhere in there <laughs> it, we, we've lamented abortion in our land yes. for decades and yet nobody's ever held a gun to our head and said you kill the baby that's right wow <laughs> that, would, <laughs> that is a different situation right and and I think that, you know, I quoted Spurgeon yesterday of that would have, I mean, think about that happening today. That would put our feet to the fire oh, yeah. real quick yeah. about, all right, so who are you bowing your knee to? Who, who ultimately do you fear? And that Spurgeon quote of, of, of God, in a sense, instituting this mm. for the purpose, the good purpose of if left to themselves, they would have become Egyptians and yeah. probably happily so. It took such mm. fierce persecution, oppression, mm. something as dramatic as, all right, as soon as you find out it's a male, you kill the child. Yeah. That divided the cultures. Mm. That divided the mm. peoples in a way that probably nothing else could have. Mm. So in a sense, it's a blessing from God. Yeah, God is at work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, verse 12, as we read through it, um, just stands out to me as a straight out of the text kind of summary of the main point. Mm. And, and I think you're the way you summarize that helpfully in the sermon is kind of a paraphrase of this. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied That's right. and the more they spread abroad. Just this surprising result, unexpected outcome. Mm-hmm. You would think when somebody is doing everything in their power, and this is the most powerful man in the world at the time, yeah. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, doing everything in his power, using all of his state authority yeah. and um, abusive tactics and all these things to prevent the people from growing. Yeah. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. Yeah. You just go, what is what is happening here? And you summed up the, the main point of the text as saying something like, even under dire enemy persecution, the Lord will protect and prosper those who fear him. Yeah. 
And, and, and so it gives us this context. You know, we're in times of oppression and affliction and persecution, even that cannot thwart God's purpose. You know, so we saw in the opening, God's faithful to his purposes. Okay, but what, what about when there are evil people yeah. opposing his purposes? Yeah. Nope, even still, that actually is just another servant that is under God's authority. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, gosh, it just you do have this experience as, you, as we were mentioning of like, okay, the Monday after preaching a sermon, you think, what? Why did I? <laughs> but you know, you think you, exactly how you just described. Even when it feels like that verse twelve, what the worst outcomes should be. You no, know, God, you know, just in His economy of how He works and how He's worked so far in the story, just even His opening chapter. It's, it's what God or what man intends for evil, God intends for good. Mm. You know, so us today thinking and applying that truth, well, how can I know, okay, great, it happened in this cool story, but how do I know that it's going to happen mm. for me? I mean, we have the picture in Jesus of what is the worst yeah. thing it, it, for a Christian? What is the worst thing that could ever happen? And to me... You know, you think through the whole of the Bible. Well, probably the murder of the Son of God. Yeah. The unjust murder of the Son of God. That was the pinnacle when all felt lost. And, and you know, Exodus 1, foreshadowing, here is a, a son. Yes. The son of Israel. Yes. The, the son. Yes. Who's actually successfully killed by the political powers of right. his time. Yeah. And even that. Y- yeah. And even, you know, on the, on the other side of... That event after Jesus is, e. Jesus is raised from the dead, in the story of Acts, which mirrors so much of what's happening here in Exodus, mm-hmm. with this oppressive the the birth of the nation of Israel mm-hmm. mirrors the birth of the church in a lot of ways of oppression coming and then God prospering and God spreading. Mm-hmm. It just you know you look in the beginning. Well, we should we Go we ahead. should use these Bibles. The beginning <laughs> of the book of Acts, um, Acts five, I think particularly. Um, well, man, this is what happens when you're in podcasting. You don't know exactly where these things are. Uh, it, but every time Peter gets hauled in, especially before mm. the persecution in verse or in chapter seven or chapter seven of this of the stoning of Stephen, mm-hmm. um, every time Peter gets hauled, he and John just keep getting hauled in front of the council over and over again. E- each of those times, Peter always drops this hint that, oh, by the way, reminder: you guys killed him. Like you, yeah. you're the ones who did this. You are the ones who have brought about this event by murdering the Son of God, whom mm-hmm. you put to death. God made alive yeah. for our good, and He's the one who we're not going to fear you because we fear God alone. And it just has this invigorating. And Peter's just such yeah. a different person than he was mm-hmm. the night of Jesus's death. He was part of the cowering crew that watched Jesus get taken away. He denied him over and over again. And yet now by the gift of the spirit, he experiences this newfound, his lenses have been opened. Mm -hmm. He's seen Christ hanging and dying and he's seen him come to him and say, if you love me, you'll feed my sheep. Mm -hmm. And he's just experienced all this and said, okay. (laughs) And then plus the, you know, you have the spirit fall on Pentecost. Now he can stand before a council before a, you know, an exes Pharaoh Mm -hmm. and say, we won't fear you. Yeah. In fact, we don't we must, fear you. We you must in fact, obey God. you murdered our God, mm-hmm. and he, or you murdered our Lord, and mm-hmm. God brought him back to life. Mm-hmm. Why on earth would we fear you guys? Yeah, that just has such a. <laughs> it puts my situations in my life yeah. in our 
our little expression of the local church here in Sioux Falls, any opposition we might face, mm. you know, God will build his church. Mm-hmm. And it just, it gives such, it gives a steadying effect. Yeah. It just gives it a, a, like I said, a ballast. It just puts weight in the boat that yeah. lets you, okay, I don't have to get overly worried. Amazing. Yeah. Anytime I see in scripture, um, a contrast going on, that's such a powerful way to teach and to make a point. Mm. Advertisers do this all the time. You know, the, the comparison kind of commercials, here's our competitor's product, here's ours, <laughs> here's why ours is so much better because yeah. look at theirs doesn't work and whatever. Yeah. You clearly have that kind of comparison going on here between God and Pharaoh. And so the the point of the passage is to build up for us in our hearts and our minds to, to reveal to us how much greater God mm. is. Yes. And, and that's only going to continue in Exodus as, oh, as we have, you know, God coming yeah, toe-to-toe yes, right. with Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt and the right. plagues and all that. But we're, we're jumping ahead. Already here we have this assertion, here's Pharaoh, king of Egypt, wielding all of his power to oppress and afflict and you know squash the people of God. And yet God's people are multiplying and God is dealing faithfully with them. And you know, toward the end of the passage, it, it repeats that same thing. And in particular, brings us to those two Hebrew midwives. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- these incredible women, uh, my regard for them and their courage <laughs> is so high when I think about the, the situation that they were in. Mm-hmm. Verse 20, so God dealt well with the midwives and the people as a whole multiplied yeah. and grew strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. You have this direct contrast. Like in a time when children are being murdered, mm-hmm. you can imagine most parents are thinking, do we really even want to have children yes. right now? They could be snatched away and, and murdered. Oh, that's a great and, point. And, and it's in the midst of that that the midwives become mothers. And like you said, we don't know, were, were they barren or right. what, what was their... We, we don't know the details of their situation, but apparently they didn't have families. And then <laughs> God gave them families as a <laughs> blessing. And, and they had families... By faith. Yes. What are they doing bearing children in a day and age when the Egyptians are murdering children? Well, they, they trusted God. I mean, that, it's just incredible. And a reminder, we're only in chapter one. And, you know, you finish and you finish the chapter, or at least you think you finish the chapter with, oh, you know, we, like all yeah. that we just said. Yeah. What was it evil like should end there. turns out for good. All right. <laughs> high fives. The midwives get their children and all this stuff and everything that you just said about the um, the midwives getting children even in the midst of what's what's stated the last verse twenty two then Pharaoh commanded all his people every son that is born of the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile and you shall let every mm. daughter live the, you know we think the end of the story that it's this this parade of, of mm. fruitfulness that wanders mm-hmm. in no the the oppression ramps up, ramps up mm-hmm. and gets even worse. And yet the people continued multiplying. And yet the midwives were given families that, had there been boys, should have been thrown in the Nile mm-hmm. and would be expected to be thrown in the Nile. Yeah. So that last verse is another hinge. It's another it's transition to chapter two. It's yep. pointing you to this is still hasn't been fixed. We still need... Mm-hmm. And you know the word that's often used here. We still need a deliverer. Yeah. We still need deliverance from our from our yeah. bondage into something that God and, and God will do that in dramatic ways. So it's in the next chapter we are introduced to the hero, the, yeah. the human hero of this story. Man, there's so I mean we could go on and on. 
um, <laughs> that there's so much here, as there always is in God's Word. I think it's appropriate to wrap up just giving some thought to mm. what's the application? What does it what does it mean for us? What does it call for from us? Mm. God's Word lays claims on our lives. It's one thing to know what it says, what it means. It's another to respond rightly to it. Yeah. Um, and I, I think what Moses, the author, is clearly highlighting is that in such troubling circumstances, the, these women feared God. Yeah. And and then he brings attention back to that when he says, because they feared God, right. God dealt well with them. That's right. So, so twice he's emphasizing that. And anytime an author is highlighting how these people are relating to God, that's, that's probably what the author wants us to know about how we ought to relate that's to right. God. That's <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. The, you know, how, how then shall we live? Um, you, th- you think of, there's a, Spurgeon finishes that quote. I, I gave a Spurgeon quote in the midst of the sermon yesterday, and there's actually a, it keeps going. And I thought the quote was probably too long in the first place, so I, I had to cut it. But man, this was money. He says this, You shall find in any individual church that wherever evil men have conspired together and a storm of opposition has burst forth against the saints, the heart of the Lord has been moved with compassion. So here's his imperative. Be patient then, my brethren. Amidst the persecutions or trials you may be called upon to bear and be thankful that they are so often overruled for the growth of the church, the spread of the gospel, and the honor of Christ. Mm. So we find our location in that, mm. in a church, a community, a body of believers that we've, we've covenanted and united ourselves to, to be an expression, an aroma of Christ in our city, which we love. Mm. And we during the week, during on Sundays, we gather together. On the rest of the week, we spread out and go out into all of our different scenarios, our, all our different um vocations and Mm -hmm. what have you. But when we experience the opposition that has come, that will continue to come, that likely may well continue Mm -hmm. for a while to come to not panic. What what he says there, be patient. Mm -hmm. Just know that this is for the honor of Christ. Mm -hmm. That helps me. I just, I have to tell myself that like, be patient, open your eyes, just, yeah, fear not mm-hmm. is what the psalmists say. Yeah, and, and according to this text, the remedy to fear of political powers, global elitists, <laughs> whatever, um, wh- whoever is opposing the church, the, the remedy to fear of man is fear of God. That's right. When when you know who God is, and and, and you know that He's He's your God, He's yeah. my God. Um, and, and no one can thwart him. Nobody right. can stay his hand. No, nobody can throw him off course. It, that just puts steel yeah. in our spines. Absolutely. It gives the people of God backbone um, through all, all sorts of circumstances. So, so I, I find the effect of this text on me is just tremendously uh, encouraging, faith-building. leaves me with a, a sense of hope and yeah. confidence in God that he's, he's still at work. Uh, I think of Jesus promising, you know, I will build my church. <laughs> the gates of hell will not right. prevail against it. Yeah, and you, last, last thought that I have is, you know, you could look at the, the, the midwives. First, you take in their whole situation and all that, if they had right to be upset and bitter and frustrated, even if they were in the right by deceiving Pharaoh. I think the fact that they, the way that they deceive Pharaoh 
it, you can't help but chuckle as you hear it and you think these these women were courageous but they also seemed to be just joyful mm-hmm. <laughs> they just had this this uh, I don't know what the right word is but a it wasn't this bitter mm-hmm. you know we could think of okay I have license now I'm going to say to the civil magistrate no you have no business being here. <laughs> like we are I am encouraged by this to be just a steady yeah courageous but joyful joyful, joyful yeah citizen of my nation mm-hmm. and un, unyielding mm-hmm. to fear I fear I do not fear you I fear God but we should be marked not as those rambunctious rebellious you know yeah. over there but embittered but we are joyously unmoving mm-hmm. and will not bow to anybody else but God yeah. but we do it with joy because of what he has done for us because that's ultimately what's taken place is mm-hmm. because God has dealt so well with us we 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 can respond in joy. Yeah. Amen. What a good word. Yeah. It's good to talk through it with you. Thanks for again for preaching that and oh, yeah. serving our church so well by uh, opening up the meaning of that passage and, and applying mm. it to our lives and, and giving us a, a view of God. I, we you know the subtitle for this sermon series is just from God's own mouth in the book of Exodus repeatedly. They shall know that I am the Lord. Mm-hmm. And and knowing what kind of God he is, the, the more we know him, the more we trust him. That's right. And um, the more hopeful and, and joyful we are. Yeah. So, amen. Amen. Maybe so.